I'm staring at the eviction notice. I'm frozen, terrified. I'm thinking about Laura, my little daughter, and my baby who'll be born into homelessness. Today, I can tell you straight up, if it wasn't for Threshold and the people who donate to them, me and my girls would be homeless. Threshold saves nine families every day from homelessness. Please support our At Home for Christmas appeal. Help us stop homelessness before it happens. Visit threshold.ie to make an instant Christmas donation. Good afternoon and welcome to the Tortoise Shack Sunday special. This is our rundown of the week that was. Um, some of the stories that may have slipped the radar, but I don't know if anything slips under the radar anymore because we're all just glued to our phone screens, <laughs> refreshing our screens. To get, hook, hook up the misery. Speaking of misery, Martin, how are you? Oh, doom scrolling, Tony. Doom scrolling. And, yeah. and there's no light at the end of the tunnel. And no, if there, there is, is, it's a train coming to hit us. Uh, no, the, 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 the light at the end of the tunnel has been, has been removed to, to just, just, just to, to save, save more electricity for data centers. We it's, might get, we it's might been get raffled that. for charity, Tony. <laughs> Um, we have some great guests lined up, but we are joined. First and foremost, we're joined by a friend of the shack, uh, activist, social care worker, and our, our pal, Amory Quilligan. Amory, thanks for joining us. It's good to have you on the show. Uh, and it's actually coincidental that we're also joined by Noteworthy's Maria uh, Delaney, because Maria, you've done a lot of work um, in the, the in, and I'm going to shout you out at the beginning. The award-winning piece on the uh, on, on, on traveler education barriers and that, and again, check it out, folks, if you haven't read it. But it's a, it's an award-winning piece now, Maria. So well done. Oh, thanks, Tony. Thanks uh, very much. No, no, uh, credit where credits you. Um, right, that's not where we're starting, though. Unfortunately, um, we're, Martin, you wanted to talk a little bit about uh, Finnafall registering as a charity. Um, yeah, the, lo- I- the lotto. <laughs> Yeah, I thought when it first happened that it was going to slip under the radar um, just because there is so much else going on. But it really is uh, a, a stroke worthy of, of Fianna Fáil of old. It really is one of those outlandish strokes. And they think they're just going to walk away with it. And I just don't how can they walk away with this? Oh, um, can I push back and say they're all at it? So, yeah, I know. But this is this is kind of this is Fianna Fáil old school stroke. The, Charlie Hottie would have loved this one. In fact, I believe Fianna Fáil tried before and they were told by the Supreme Court, no, you're not a bloody charity. Well, I think it was um, Liam Herrick of ICCL pointed out that it, it's easier for a political party to register as a charity than it is for, for a civic organization group like ICCL, which is which was an interesting point. And I suppose that's where I would start the basis of this going. Why is this the difference? And, you know, and I also think which was really funny was the, the Greens going to bat for, you know, oh, no, there's nothing to see here. And you're going, why did you even choose to expend political capital? Just let them paddle their own useless canoe and leave them to it. Why st- why take a bullet in, a, in an argument you didn't have to involve yourself in? So, look, it, it was it was interesting. I don't know, Amory, you, you, you must, you, you've worked with a lot of organizations and groups that, that are designated charities, and you're sitting there and you're going, these lads are selling raffle tickets as a, as a registered charity. It, it doesn't, um, it doesn't, play well in the public sphere no and i suppose um like when we look at it i when i read it the first thing i thought was if Sinn Féin did this you know like you know the the double standards you know that kind of way now i know you have the things like around 
I where political parties host dinners and things like that. But it was just that the narrative was so different, like, and the backlash was so different from society when it was Fianna Fáil. You know, it's like, yeah, they're like Teflon. Mm. You know, anything they they anything they do, like, you know, and they seem to to get away with it, like, yeah, so. And it is true for what Liam Herrick said, like, you know, it is much difficult for, for charities. And we see that as well, like with homeless charities and even, you know, the, um, the, 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 charities, the soup kitchens and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, like yep. the, diff- the difficulties where they're actually helping the most vulnerable and outshine and they seem to be regulated much more stringent in terms of the, this kind yeah. of thing. It's regulated to an inch in our lives now. Some of them, like we spoke to the Muslim uh, Sisters of Era and the, the, since the changes were brought in, I mean, like just how they have to present food, the regulations and just how they present food now are the sort of things that would make Martin pull his hair out. Um, sorry, man, I couldn't resist. Um, Maria, um, just on on that, though, like, you know, Finna Gale have been bringing in nearly, I think it was a million quid on one of these raffles where you and and you can you, you can put look buy your your tickets in effect you know you win your six grand or whatever it is but you it costs you 1500 to enter it does seem to be a huge revenue stream for the parties going to interrupt the podcast for that moment that you don't like but uh we have to do it is us asking you to support this project the wider platform all of the voices you hear and the stories you hear it's been a unbelievable week a few weeks actually um, and some of the things we've done, they've really made a difference. I've been contacted by Nadim to say that, you know, we're getting more traction on his case and his his leave to stay, leave to remain. I've gotten messages from Kira saying that she's been in contact with people in the Dublin Regional Homeless Executive, people from the government itself and people from the opposition. Those things that we do um, and we pile on and we, we, we fight for it and we try and help and help amplify uh, they, they matter, but they don't actually happen unless we can keep the platform viable. And at the moment, we just aren't. We haven't been, we're not. And it's more it's more difficult for me. It's more difficult to keep this going because there's more bills and I just have no other income stream at this stage. So if, if you're one of the thousands of people listening every day, it just means you have to put your hands in your pocket and help us out. It's patreon.com forward slash tortoise It really would be make all the difference just a couple of quid keeps the keeps the mics on keeps us being able to talk to those people and we'll just go from there please if you can patreon.com forward slash tortoise shack let you go back to the podcast yeah and i suppose the thing is um like it it doesn't they obviously have this loophole and they're and they're getting through it but i suppose it's more the public impression of like are they a charity and um, I was just looking at the legislation before I came on and it says like it, it should be allocated to charitable or philanthropical purposes. So I suppose you do have to define yourself as that. And very few people in Ireland would think of a, a political party as a charity. Like that's not. Uh, so it's more like, is this the right thing to do rather than is it legal, if you know what I mean? I, I, sorry, Martin, go on. Yeah. I would have thought that that, you know, they are a charity. When you look at Fianna Fáil, really and truly, they are a charity. But they're a charity for for the the wrong direction. They they take from the poor and they give to the rich, and they always have done. And Fianna Gael, Fianna what, what's, what's, what, what, what was the expression um, Simon McGarr has used on this podcast for there being a um, a way of commissioning money? Uh, the, 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 and that's and that's the system. But again, look, I don't a want to patr- what, patronage machine. Yes, a patronage called. machine, and I think that's really a good way of looking at it. Um, 
I, I, well, I suppose from the Green Party's point of view, like again, you were saying, like, why did they say anything? But yeah. um, like, I presume they want to maybe run a, a raffle themselves or something that's like that. It. That's why they supported it. But again, like, it's kind of a, a strange move to say anything at all. Like, I, you didn't see any other political parties <laughs> well, coming well, out no, defending they, them. So. The last time they did it, the Greens came forward to defend something. It was because they knew a week later it was going to come out that it held their own little uh, shindig. So, so maybe you're right. I think very prescient of you, perhaps, Maria. And we'll know in a few days when, when uh, we're, we're being told they're running a Christmas raffle, win a turkey, and it's 1500 a ticket. <laughs> I think we can safely say that the Greens are like a, a guy who's ended up in jail for shoplifting. And he's in with all the big lags now, and he's learning how to hotwire a car. He's learning how to smuggle drugs. I know, no. You know, that's the, that's exactly what the Greens are like. They're learning the ropes now from some of the worst that ever existed. Oh, no. listen, we we're going to move on. There is a good news story this this week, and I want to I do want to say it is a good news story in terms of the regularization and the opportunity for a pathway to citizenship for undocumented migrants. I hate all these phrases because you know people are people, none, nonetheless. But this is this is the terminology we're using. Um, I'd be interested, uh, Anne-Marie, to get your thoughts on it, because I do think it was, gonna, I'm going to say it was long overdue, but that I don't want to take the good out of it, of what actually is, when it is a good news story, it was, it was really positive to see it been done. Um, and I just think it's a nice, it's a nice positive step forward, even if we have to watch the details. Yeah, I suppose, look, um, I don't really know very much about it, uh, Tony, to be honest with you, I didn't uh, kind of catch up with it over the weekend. And like it is a, a good news story and I like, you know, like so many other communities in Ireland, an awful lot of us are invisible, you know, in plain sight, you know, that kind of a way. And um, I suppose it is great to see that this is going in the step, a step in the right direction, you know, um, for people and just to see them acknowledge as well as you know, their, their presence and that they have a voice and um a step towards, you know, equal rights and things like that as well. So it's very important, John, you know, that they're they're coming out of the shadows safely, you know, because it must be very difficult living in a country where um, we frame ourselves, you know, that we're all about equality and stuff like that, and to have children and adults living in the conditions and the fear, you know, we see that like from uh, undocumented Irish in America and stuff like that, and how scary it is, like it's difficult and. Isn't it? Isn't isn't it funny though that we call what do we call her, the the undocumented? We refer the to them, the yeah, and, and and you know, but if it's someone here, it's an illegal an illegal immigrant. You know, um, we do have a different way when it when it's our own. We 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 kind of ch- change up. Maria, you you probably uh, looked at this and thought because I know there was reports actually in on the journal and in noteworthy about this, and you've worked on some of these things, but it it was. A good news story. It's nice to see something that we can all turn around and say, well, okay, I would have loved it to happen sooner. But, and again, we're going to go, we're going to maybe say something. The Greens, we gave them a kick in there a minute ago, but I know they were talking about putting in the program for government as well. So you got to give them credit when, when it's done. Yeah, and like I have worked with, um, I suppose Mike, I did an investigation into the caring sector um, a few, just last year. And um, a lot of that was to do with undocumented migrants because um, it's a huge sector that undocumented people would work in. And um, I think it's like, it's not only important for like regularization and everything, but just from um, the work status and being able to have protections. Because when I was talking to some of the carers, they were not getting breaks um, during the pandemic. They weren't having their weekends off. They weren't having their days off. Um, and purely because maybe family members weren't able 
to make give them leave and things like that and basically their their protections and their work protections weren't there so like I think this will really help that because if you're regularized you will have those extra protections in place and you won't be afraid to go forward if something is happening I suppose there is one um, thing like there is a cutoff so it's a, it's a six-month window and it is for people who are here for more than four years or three years if you have children and two years if you're within the asylum process so I think like obviously those who just fall outside the window will be very disappointed but for long term um, undocumented is, is obviously a really good news story. I think it's really important you, you point that out because it was referred to as a once in a generation change and I just think that's actually wrong there should be a pathway permanently that we roll forward you know not you don't want to have remember all the language they put on it in the US with Trump getting rid of the dreamers act and all this sort of stuff we were you know whatever way you want to dress it up I didn't like that phrase once in a generation this is the sort of thing that there should be a pathway open Mm. And I suppose it is um, kind of coming in along, along with the direct provision reform so I suppose that's one thing that um, hopefully going forward that will be a reformed process and this will hopefully tackle the people who are stuck in the older process um, again for more than two years so I think that's one hopeful thing to get out of it but yeah it is as they were saying a once in a lifetime thing and, and that it was to address I suppose people saying that there'll be an influx of people and all you know all that kind of rhetoric but um, yeah. Just just wanted to mention that the way the the work permit slash visa system works, that some of those people were originally documented, but because their visas are held by their employers and if they change jobs, they then become undocumented. So I just wanted to point that out, that that system is her- inherently unfair and it does need to be addressed. I think it's fair. Um, we, also, I know I've just added Jana Lyons, uh, Moon Tour Jana, our friend. And Jana, I just want to ask you one point on this. Uh, you often talk about the fact that within your classroom, there could be, you know, eight different languages spoken, you know, the, the, the children. So some of those children wouldn't even know that it's it, that some of, some of these children across Ireland won't know that they're actually in, impacted by this. So it's a good news story, even for them, because they're, they, they just know themselves as, as their classmates. So hopefully now it might see some sort of positive things like that. I don't, I don't know if, 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 if you got any sort of oversight of that this, this week, but it was certainly something that I, I picked up on because you always talk about the diversity within the classroom. Yeah, I have 19 languages in my class. Wow. Um, and some of those families would have three languages at home, you know, say like if they're if they're from India, they'll have um, the, a majority language for the neighborhood and then they'll have their family's cultural language as well, like different dialects and stuff. So it's what I found interesting after a few years of joining our school was I just made the assumption that our kids identified as Irish and something else, you know, um, and, and then you'd refer to the kids as, you know, we'd talk about being Irish around St. Patrick's Day. And some of the I had senior infants at the time and some of them would say, I'm not Irish, I'm Romanian. And and I was kind of taken aback by it. But then when you think about it, like, say, if you think about um the Irish diaspora, as we say, and if you think about like Irish families who have moved over to Dubai or the Middle East, those kids probably don't identify as being of that culture. They probably very strongly identify as being Irish. So I think that's something that we can sometimes overlook. You know, it's it's you don't want to just create this culture of Irish Irishness within the class. You, you need it to be a dual identity thing. So what I say to my kids is, you know, you're, you're Romanian and you're Irish or you're Moldovan and you're Irish. 
Um, and another thing, I suppose, is just that you can make an assumption that all of the various families in your class feel the same way about it, but not necessarily. You know, some of our families have been here for 20 years and, and the parents have said to me that they see themselves as Irish. And, you know, I mean, even if they're here far, far less than that, you know, they I had I had one mother before who um, was from Pakistan and she was um in a in a difficult kind of home situation and she you know the the relationship broke down but she was saying that that was very taboo in Pakistan for her and her family were really unhappy that she had made the decision to separate from her husband like but she she said to me you know I see myself as Irish and I want my boys to see themselves as Irish as well and that's not to say that they were turning their back on their home culture at all but yeah, so that's kind of my point of view. Well, I think I think what you've outlined is we can't just judge people and, and put them into categories like that. And I think that's really fair because I, I was coming in with a blunt statement and you've just shown me that there's actually a lot more nuance to it. So. Well, and then look, like, the, you know, the kids yeah. themselves probably don't realise that, yeah. that, that we've um, undocumented people in the school or that we've we people who don't have, um, like, citizenship here. It's, I, I you know, I found one of my childhood diaries, I'm, Apologies to Martin and Tony here, but I'm showing my relative youth. I found one of my diaries from when I was whatever it was, 13, and that was when the citizenship referendum for children was on. And in in it, I said, like, I can't believe that these children won't be allowed to be Irish. Yeah. You know? Um, and I'm like now it's only whatever 20 years later that we're seeing the the impact on it. Yeah, that's a fair point. And I you know it's something we'll definitely go back to because that was that that referendum is, remains a stain on on our national consciousness and in what we did here. And um, I do want to move on. And it is coincidental that you're both here, Maria and Maria, as I said at the beginning. Um, but it was uh, we were speaking to Senator Eileen Flynn this week, who will join us during the week to discuss uh, the report. She's a powerhouse, as you all know. Um, but we talked about the report into employment uh, status and, and employment opportunities within the traveling community. Um, I, if you don't mind, I'm going to go to Maria first because you wrote a piece of noteworthy on it. Um, do you want to just give, if listeners aren't familiar, if they missed it this week, what the report was in effect and, and what, what it's trying to achieve? Yeah, so it was the final report of the Joint Committee on Key Issues Affecting the Traveller Community. So this committee has been sitting for the past um, year or so, and they've had uh, numerous meetings with people from on things like accommodation, justice, um, education, health, and uh, like, you know, and, and they also visited um, seven traveller accommodation sites last month um, just to see the issues firsthand for themselves, which Anne-Marie can comment on this, but I thought that was quite refreshing from a committee. I haven't seen something like that before where they actually go and visit sites or visit things before they write a report. So, um, but Anne-Marie, you can, you can say what you think about that. Um, and then they made um, 84 recommendations, which is a huge amount of recommendations for a report like this across health, education, housing and employment. I suppose some of the key ones, um, and Eileen kind of mentioned these um, at the launch last week, um, were an urgent audit of all traveller sites um, to see what needs to be done. Um, and then obviously the implementation of, of what happens with that audit. Um, one of the points I found interesting um, was um, kind of temporary repeal of the trespass legislation until there are um, establishment of a network of transient sites. So I thought that was um, quite an interesting and it kind of reflects the culture of nomadism um, within the traveller community. 
Um, and then other things are like, and I've, we found that with it, we found this within our noteworthy report where the implementation and development of action plans in health and education. And, 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 and the thing is that they've been called on for years, but um, nothing has been um, implemented as yet. And one of the main points was um, the impact on mental health um, across all of these things. So again, it's um, implementation of an action plan on mental health. Um, and Anne-Marie, we spoke to Anne-Marie um, and over already about reduced timetables, and that was also mentioned in the report. And they called on um, just the, uh, again, monitoring of these. So it's if, if schools are overusing them to actually have action on it. And I suppose one of the main things um, was from the launch, I found, was just like the tar- the tiredness of the community. And again, Anne-Marie can speak about this better of reports, bottom reports and them not being implemented. And it was mentioned numerous times at the launch this week, just about how this needs to be implemented. And there did seem to be a political will among everyone there that these actions need to be implemented. So, 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 so Anne-Marie, is this... Does this feel different, or does this, or do we have to just we have to pause and say let's let's see when this implement this this wonderful word implementation. Let's see what what that means. Yeah, do you know I I'll be honest, Tony. I and I could be wrong, but I think there is a change coming. Do you know I really do think there is a change coming. I I think that change the pressure is coming on the government now from Irish society. You know, and I think that is from work um, I, from people like yourselves and Maria and Noteworthy and things like that in the journal, you know, launching um, that investigation. So I do think and I do feel that um, they, they, um, the, the government departments were genuine. You know, they, like they said, they went out to visit the sites and like you will see that an awful lot of the time when you go out to the sites, which I'm always taken aback by is. For children that have so little, you know, for families that have so little that are using buckets as toilets, you know, they are the children are so happy, you know, because they come from such loving families and there is such great vibrancy when you go out into the sites and they're so welcoming and uh, friendly and, and 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 there is an awful lot of the sites that I work in an awful lot of love and you know and happiness among the children. And I think when maybe the government officials maybe got to experience that and to see that, you know, so that we know that um, accommodation is the biggest barrier. But like as uh, Senator Eileen Flynn said before, like we, we are probably one of the most researched communities, you know, definitely in Ireland, like if not uh, throughout the world, you know, we're, de- we're definitely up there. So it is implementation. And I suppose uh, Maria Joyce from the National Travel Women's Forum spoke at the end and I was very proud uh, that that contribution came from a traveller, another traveller woman, a leader, um, uh, and similar to that of Eileen Flynn, um, where Maria comes, like she said, she said, we are sick of the report. Now we need implementation. And for those that do not deliver, we need accountability. You know, we really, we do need accountability. And the change will not come without accountability, you know. Um, I suppose um, I did see a focus in the report on, um, you know, uh, cultural awareness training and anti-racism training uh, among teachers and government departments and things like that. And, you know, I suppose for myself personally, I realise and I understand that there is a place for that. But that is coming into schools uh, in the assumption that every teacher is racist when that's not true, you know. 
And what what good is anti-racism training for the child or the teacher when it's not anti-travel racism? That's the issue here, you know, when it's living conditions. And there um, there needs to be a strong focus and emphasis on trauma-informed training and trauma-informed schools and any building yeah, that actually hosts vulnerable people or people in general should be trauma-informed and be able to deliver a tra- trauma-informed response. And that's not just something that would benefit traveller children, that's for all children. Um, I think that's a really good point. I don't, I don't know, if John, if you want to comment on that from an educational point of view, but um, it's certainly something that... Like I wouldn't have even known about trauma informed response until I until I met people like yourselves. So you know, so it's it's all that part of the education piece. Um, yeah, no, I agree with Amory. Um, I suppose like like we've got traveller kids in our school, so I'm I'm thinking of them, but I'm also thinking of the diversity of different nationalities that we have, and it's also important that the families see themselves reflected in what's happening in the classroom. Um, and and what's happening in the curriculum you know like a one of the most simple examples that was given to me when I moved into our school was if you're teaching procedural writing you don't want to just focus on how to make rice crispy cakes how to make whatever you want it to be well what's your favorite food what do your family eat for dinner okay what you know tell us what ingredients do you need for that how do you make it what are you know or like you need to make a, a connection between the two so I, I think it's a bit of both to be honest um Irish education has a very far way to go in terms of being trauma informed. Um, it's I feel like it's only really in the, maybe the last few years that our eyes are being opened to it on a on a national level. I think teachers who have worked in Desh one schools, which would be the areas identified as with most social disadvantage, um, they would be more aware of it than most. But I know that Educate Together is um, just because that's the context that I'm working in. Um, they are paying for their schools to become um, trauma-informed through the Nurture Programme. Um, and obviously, they're not the only patron that would have that in place. But I know that some of our staff are getting um, training in, in in Nurture schools at the moment. So again, that's all to do with like, why, you know, why are, are the children behaving this way? Like, what's going on for them? And, and how do we increase those connections for them between, like, not only seeing school as a place of learning, but seeing it as a safe place where they can talk about their feelings and and their emotional resilience and i think that that goes across the board too i think if we look at and and maria not a dig at you but if we look at media in general they write from the point of view of the the comfortable middle class person who works in an office Uh, and that's that's pretty that's pretty broad statement mark well a lot of a lot of what we'll get is no you're the, t- what's you're talking the... no can i can i that's maybe the commentariat rather yeah, than we'll media the, yeah, okay yeah, let's we'll let's the, let's we'll frame that commentariat are coming from that point of view but ireland is a much much more diverse place but it always has been and i think that's fair to say it's not that it's just diverse recently we've always been diverse we've just locked these groups out i think that's fair to say well, I I don't know if Maria, if you want to comment on that, or or we just or we let that slide. But I think I I think I think there is there is a there is an element of who who tells us what to think sometimes, you know. Well, no, that, there is like it's fair, like there is there we do need more diversity in the media. Like it's it's not an unfair comment. Um, and yeah, I think media organisations all over Ireland need to do more to recruit people from across the class spectrum and across the di- like ethnic diversity as well. So yeah, I think it's it's a fair enough comment. 
And I think um, Ron has made a point, you know, about the, the some of the sites, even in the global pandemic, not having running water, not having adequate heating, not having it. Like we see all of this, and you're right. And um, it goes why it goes back to what Amory says about visiting sites, and then where's the follow up? Where's the implementation? Where's the improvements? Where's the where's the? And this is happening right now. So I do. I I know. I'm gonna just. Yeah, just Amory just wanted to come in there. Sorry, Amory. Yeah, I suppose just to say, um, you know, it, it, on this topic, like money is not the issue. You know, the money is um, allocated, you know, with each government. So the, the money is not the issue. You know, it's the, the, the spending of the money is the issue. Yeah. Yeah, just on that point, um, the report recommended that um, if the local authorities are having issues spending the money, um, that Onboard Panala take over the running of the money allocation and that actually any money that isn't spent is kind of allocated to traveller groups or local residents associations to spend on specific programmes. So I think that was an interesting recommendation about that. Well, it's, it's better It's better than county council spending year after year sending their budgets back. Um, we know all about I, I want to switch thing, Martin, just want to very quickly c- cover on the story this week about the gas for- gas fired power plants, if that's OK. Um, and feel free to correct me now. But there was obviously there was an element of greenwashing went on saying that these are going to be necessary because we're facing blackouts. And we wanted to ignore the fact that these are also necessary because we're giving out planning permissions to be the band for data centers. So it is, uh, you know, and then they, they went on and the guys saw SEA, SEAI and all the rest of it, they actually went on a, a webinar and they admitted as much that the, that the usage levels that are needed or required for data centers require us to, to use these gas-powered um, plants, which means we're much more limited by what we can do to redo our carbon reductions. And they're calling, and again, I want to use that phrase greenwashing, they're talking about the, the, these as a transitionary way of getting ourselves off it. You know, it's like, it's, it's not as bad as burning coal. Well, we've been burning coal from... I'm going to say blood mines in Colombia for years and no one gave out. Um, so now we're, now we're going to move on. And if you ever hear this, Mark Ruffalo, I will, I will get you for that. <laughs> <laughs> you left us with this government. Tony, Tony, he's the Hulk, buddy. The, <laughs> you won't get him. Um, get I, 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 the only reason I train every day is to meet Mark Ruffalo one day and tell him, <laughs> and tell him what he did to us when he went on that Green Party Zoom. Um, I know, look, I, we're going to go into... The, the main story of the week, unfortunately, is COVID. Um, I, I will go around, but I also want to touch on a, a few aspects of it. But but if we could if we could start, Jana, I, um, I know I was talking to uh, Rob O'Hanrahan, who did terrific work. He's down on Moore Street. He tried to go, get in. I don't think it's going to work. Um, but he's done some terrific coverage of it. Uh, the actual spread and how we, you know, we spent... Months have been told schools are safe, and now we have been told that you know the best way to keep schools safe is to close the nightclubs. Um, can I uh, ask you first of all how you felt this week seeing the those events unfold and yet another um, address the nation, the state of the nation? Just feels farcical. Um, I don't really know what else to say. We're all wrecked. I said this to you the last time I was talking to you. Like we're all burnt out. Um, there hasn't really been any grassroots activism for the last number of months um, because it it did feel like no one was listening. It felt like we were putting our necks on the line as um, not to compare it to what Martin and his colleagues have done in, in whistleblowing, but it did feel like it was coming at a great personal cost to a small number of us, um, myself included. And um, I, 
I, I personally I don't feel any sense of vindication from it um like I'm glad that now the narrative has turned that way and the people's eyes are opened to it but um in terms of goodwill for the workforce I feel like the damage has been done um I I, I don't really know like what else to say we've all known well, well we could have know. said we could have said like why would they still won't admit that they were wrong they still won't admit that like i mean if an idiot like emma sorry martin i take that back if martin <laughs> if martin if martin did last august martin did a one-to-one podcast with john wenger um on on ventilation and how he recommended all of those things now if martin mcmahon on his own like i wasn't involved he did this on his own went and found an expert and put it out into the world how did the, the department ignore it for a further 15 months it just Morning. makes yeah, and can I just Money, point the out? economy, keep the economy turning, get the children minded in schools. Can I know I the just, education is important, but that's not what it was about. Can I just point out that one of the whistleblower group did this in her own time as well and tracked down all the figures and FOI'd everything. Um, and that's Olive Blogs, just if you if you're not following Olive. Um Olive, we knew this. We knew we knew this before they ever said we won't do track and trace in schools. We knew this. So um, I don't know. I, I think when we come to the inquiry at the end of all of this, we're going to ask, A, why did we sacrifice our old people? And B, why did we sacrifice our young people? I mean, why did we Why did we go to these two extremes? I don't know if anybody else wants to come in on, on, the, on this. Um, and I mean this in general, the idea of the new restrictions and have yourself a very unmerry Christmas, as we're calling it now. I think entertainment, Tony, is suffering disproportionately. Um, and I think it's very difficult for people in entertainment to see the justification for what's happening. When we know that schools are the driver, then why is entertainment the, the sector that's suffering? I, I'd ask that question. I think it's a fair question to ask. Um, I suppose just to say, like, all my family are musicians and things like that. You know, my father is a musician, my brothers, my sisters. And I don't know if society actually understands, you know, this is a, a, an inter, a, a musician or whatever the case might be, their busiest time of the year, you know, and just gone overnight. And even uh, psychologically and emotionally, I don't think people really understand the impact of not being able to work has had for musicians and entertainers and things like that, because there's a huge social side to that kind of work as well for for artists. You know, they're they're so invested in it. Um, but I think the artists, uh, like I know when my father was going out to stay there, um, a couple like last in the last two weeks, he's we've been seeing his bookings and things like that cancelled. You know, and he's very understanding of it. But I think what is actually hurting people and upsetting people is that the whole issue has been politicized. You know, I'm, and, and that's very disrespectful. And it's the, the, the miscommunications, you know, the left hand doesn't seem to know what the, the right hand is doing. But even uh, like, it's like the government haven't, or, 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 or Nefet or whoever, uh, like they haven't factored in, like, you know, that the virus can spread in the air. Like we all know this. Like that, the virus can spread in the air. Like they're treating it like it's the flu or it's the cold, you know. And I even understand when they're saying, like coming from a, a health and safety perspective, I'm I'm working within residential care, and I understand people are getting upset now when every time they hear the two meter distance and things. 
For me, um, as someone that works in residential care, the two meter distance and the hand sanitizer is so important because not for, not alone for the COVID, but if they can stop us from getting things like the flu and the cold that we would present with symptoms that we would have to go and get tested, you know, if we have COVID like, and have to do the, the, the test. But to be, it seems like they're ignoring the science. You know that it's not air. Well, 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 you saw that actually when when um, Philip Nolan, I think it was from NUI, uh, made a comment that flight was. I don't want to knock the go ahead and personally, but it, it just didn't stack up with the what the expert opinions were on it. And I know it's been pointed out um, and it, it just feels it, it does feel like it's it's been politicized. And I know, Jana, you make a great point that it's about giving them um, it's make, it's not about the education as much as it is giving a place to leave children. It's about childcare. But at the same time, you know, then it's also unfortunately become this um They've given more, they've done more to help the people, the conspiracy people and the people on those in, in that agenda that to think that, you know, uh, putting a mask on mask mandates or the ideas of that. They've, they've given more sucker to that to that storyline, unfortunately, than, than could could have been done with a propaganda machine, you know, and I just feel like that that has been very dangerous because it's it, <laughs> We had a Martin. You had you saw. Did you see the message we got before we came on about I did. I two, did. Chi- two children happily wearing masks, and yet parents then commenting outside the school as if you know t- to challenge the other parent, going, "Why are you doing this kind of thing?" And can I can I just read a quote? And this is from Shamim, and and she's one of our regular guests, and you know this. And she said, my childhood experience was getting evicted from our place and having to walk around, walk around the streets in the cold with my grandma. I don't think I'd mind wearing a mask. I see this debate as very first world issue for the most part. And I have to agree. I have to agree. I mean, it's such a small measure to put on a mask. It's such a small thing. And to make it into this culture, and it is a culture war, Tony, you know exactly what has happened with this. It's been transformed into a culture war. I mean, my question would always be, will you wear a mask? No. Okay, will you will you take the vaccine? No. Well, then, you know, you're just being obstreperous. Honest to God, that's what you're being, is obstreperous and obstructive and keeping the ICUs full for people who actually need the ICUs. You know, and I think just cop yourselves on. If you're listening to whatever your one's name is, D Wall, I mean, she's as thick as two short planks. How thick do you have to be to be following that? But okay, look, we, 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 I don't even give them that oxygen. I, I hate the fact you even use the name, but nonetheless, um, I do think it's important from, again, education point of view, the arts and entertainment. I spoke to Mark O'Brien yesterday in from the Abbey, and they're devastated. I mean, they're yeah. actually devastated. I mean, this is just. People are like can't can't understand how bad it could be. Um, Janet, do you want to come in on the masks in schools? Um, I suppose this like just the two brief points that I'd want to make is we need to remember that as with all um, movements co-opted by the far right, there are so many anon troll accounts, burner accounts, making noise online, and it's not reflective of what the majority of the people in the country think. You can see when I'm getting the train in the mornings, I'm going against the traffic, but when it's a crowded train into town, you can see that 95%, if not more, are wearing their masks. When the mask uh, instruction came through the media, once again, out of hours, so principals 
did not get a chance once again to actually be able to implement it in a community-centered way with buy-in, with clear communication. I, I, I don't see the children from third class up in our schools because we're all in this pod system. So I only really see the children on my corridor, which is first and second class. Um, and I saw one of the learning support teachers and I said to her, oh, like, how has that been going in 36? Now, we would have, um, I suppose, you know, like when you see the headlines that uh, a, a, a large proportion of the people who are presenting at hospitals with COVID are either from outside Ireland and or unvaccinated. We would have a lot of those families in our community. Um, and yet when I asked, like, how, how are the masks going in 36? It, the vast majority of our children were wearing them. And happily so. Obviously, there's going to be a few who don't. But like what when we were talking about it amongst amongst ourselves as teachers in a WhatsApp group was surely, you know, the majority of children in the class wearing one is better than none of them wearing them. Right. So I think we need to acknowledge that the vast majority of parents, um, they're just getting on with life. They're not talking about this online because they just know that it's something that has to be done. And the other thing I'd like to say on it as well is that. The, like when we talk about the, the this this is orchestrated by the far right, and I know that there are people with very genuine concerns, very genuine misgivings, grievances with the government, with Neffet. They exist among the left as well. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that we know from history that far right groups play in on people's fears and frustrations and disillusionment. They co-opt movements to get people in under the wing, and then that's where the grooming starts to use a word you know that's where that's where the the training starts with all of the same group thing to get them all um in on it and I, I've seen colleagues of mine not in my school but like in the education uh spheres who previously I would have thought were you know left center and they're getting swept along with it and then I'm also seeing people who are already known to be um very much on the right wing being involved with this as well and I, Tony, I can see where you're saying about don't give them the oxygen, but we also can't ignore it. You know yeah. what they're what what's happening, and there were reports of it in the journal this morning. It's injurious to the profession. Uh, it's injurious to school communities, to the relationships that principals, teachers, and SNAs have with the families that they serve. And I, you know, I'm not going to suggest that anybody makes a complaint against anyone. However, if if people are feeling really, you know, hard misgivings about this, that, that you can complain to the teaching council. You have to name yourself. It can't be an anonymous letter, but you can, you know. Um, so I don't know. I just I feel like they're they're such a small, small minority, but they are playing off very sincere misgivings from members of the public. And it's it also seems to be that it's in targeted communities. You know, they're targeting the communities that have been disadvantaged, that have have been left behind. And, and they're playing off of that very genuine anger. I don't know, Anne-Marie, no, no, anything. I, I, you're dead right. That, you're very right. You're dead right on that, Jenna. And it's a sort of a playbook we saw with Trump that he looked for the Rust Belt, the disaffected, um, people who had genuine concerns and then used them, manipulated them. Anne-Marie, do you want to come in there? You're on, you're on mute, Anne-Marie. Yeah, I suppose um, you would see that. Um, for, for me personally, I, I see it across all the communities, you know, and I suppose I, like before, at the start of the pandemic, I suppose I would have been saying, oh, maybe it's about uh, educational disadvantage and some, some 
some cohorts of people are easier to, to rope in and groom. But like now, I have to be honest, uh, in the past couple of weeks, I have seen several of my academic friends which is very scary, you know, I, 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 and I, I think people, I just think it's the, 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 the messaging, you know, I even see, I'm um, there like the way they were, they, they made that announcement last week about the schools and then they said, oh, we'll update this on Monday, so we're going to send the children in. And so parents and everyone is, are freaking out and this, I feel so sorry for the schools like over the weekend because they won't know until tomorrow morning. And, you know, if a child, like the the I, I remember Jane Mulcahy saying to me before, you know, um, a dysregulated adult cannot help regulate a dysregulated child. And if the adults aren't calm, it's going to be so frightening, such a frightening experience for the children. And that's what's going to cause the psychological and emotional damage to the children, not the wearing of the masks. And I still don't understand why, um, you know, the HEPA, the HEPA filters, like mm-hmm. they were saying, like, yesterday I uh, that it might cost like 12 million euro I mean like you know we will have children in classrooms that can't wear masks for medical reasons you know and that is the reality and like the HEPA filters would be like an additional mitigating factor and it would be very cheap and very effective and even you know if it, it science tells us that they do work but even if they didn't work like, wouldn't it be a great thing for the children to have clean fresh air anyway you know it's not going to do any damage and I feel, and, and the last note on this, like, you know, and there was a message sent out uh, just before the weekend. And then I just wish Leo Redcar had kept his mouth shut because he completely contradicted what was said. And he was like, oh, I don't know why these restrictions are necessary. We do have to take the flu into consideration. We do have to, you know, and the socialisation. He should have just kept his mouth shut. There's a, there's an you interesting know. thing from the outset of the, I remember the beginning of the pandemic and the CDC in the, in the US. And, um, and this shows, again, my stupid mentality. I can't think of the name of the the the, the, the woman from the CDC, but, but she was her, again, uh, from an Asian background. And she spoke about the fact that they known that they, you know, they regularly masked at home. They regularly masked her family in, in Asia. And she said, and she said, and by the way, she's straight to the host, whoever it was. A lot of you have a problem just because you're hearing this from from a person who who isn't uh, isn't white and male. And I went, I remember it just stuck with me the whole thing. And we do. There is an element of that as well. I mean, there is an absolute element of we you know we don't need to take that advice because it's not coming from a part of the world that we we actually think on a par with. Well, it's it's also reflective of an individualistic culture. You know, Ireland is more closely aligned with the individualism of America than it is with the um, the, the community centred um, upbringing that many countries in Asia have. Um, like I visited, I had friends living in Vietnam and I visited them twice. And you have to, this is obviously way brief COVID, you have to wear a mask over there in the cities because the air pollution is so bad from all of the mopeds and the scooters. And uh, you don't think, you know, you don't think twice about it. You see, you know, the, the families with the toddlers and everything like it's clearly not affecting their intelligence. It's clearly not affecting their development. It's not causing any trauma. Um, you know, and, and when I was speaking about it with one of my friends who was working in a school over there, she said, no, like it was common that if someone had had the sniffles, they would wear a mask out of consideration for other people. Um, I think there's oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, Maria. I was just going to say it was a real missed opportunity when the mask wearing well, came in for the schools. Should have just done it in the primary schools as well. And, you know, it would have been, you know, 
like these simple things and I suppose that makes the difference as well I suppose I'm going to throw this out there now but it does just make the difference in like that there are no no women leading on this you know that it's it's men and you know like even women like you know Yana and Katrina Golden you know and like this would have been a very different experience within the school you know if there was um I think it's more than So I just got to throw it in mm. there. Like, we, yeah, we no, know this, like, to be true. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was the classic, I suppose, kids' school or kids' shoes um, scenario, wasn't it? That they were saying, like, it, it's because there wasn't any uh, women leading, like, effort or, or yeah. on higher, the high positions. But I suppose one thing I just wanted to say that I thought was a worrying development um, in recent days was that now the all the communications have to go through the government information service yes. um, yeah. because like I just think like obviously at Noteworthy all, we're all about transparency and a maximum amount of information and, and I, I know like confusing messages aren't good and everything but I think it's important that we know what NEFID members are thinking and um, I think to have to NEFID to go through the government information service is, is a kind of a back step I would think in terms of transparency. I, I just always remember the New Zealand uh, model where they're all in a room together making the decisions and the cameras are on and the public can tune in and listen to what's been reasoned and why the decisions are being made and i just think why are we so different why can't we do it the same way oh well you do because check usually simon harris is sitting there live tweeting it but that's <laughs> now now simon um, that's the thing like i think if the more transparency you have like the more closed you have the more conspiracy theories you right. have i would think yeah. and like the more transparency and openness you have and the more information you put out there, like it's, it's. I just think it's, it's better for the whole you get community. Buy-in. Yeah. You get buy-in is what you get, and that's what we desperately need at this present moment of time is more buy-in for people. What one thing I want to just say again: art, the arts entertainment entertainment live events, they're on their knees. They're on their knees. I mean, you can't run an event at fifty percent capacity. You just can't. Um, we had to cancel a yeah, gig, and, did. and and that was you had to you had to we had to you had to drink your you had to drink your poison and choose to take the hit, and we and we did. But uh, this we're 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 a tiny fish compared to people who have tours organized. This is their this is their biggest part of the year. This is their season for making money. This is the where the creators are there. So I don't know what you can what you can do, but I mean. If you're listening to this podcast at the beginning, you heard a, a shout out for um, it, it's actually shout out for Threshold, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get in trouble now. But you'll hear the, you'll hear the the, the voiceover. Um, I know it was done by Tara Flynn, who's in the audience. Tara did that. Obviously, we put the ads in gratis, but people support the arts if you can, and yeah. support people in different ways that you can. If it means buying merchandise for them, it means going back and checking out online specials, whatever it is, whatever you can do, just help help that as well because. They're saying they're going to put the supports back in place, um, and then you're giving out about four. Marie, you might tell me I'm wrong, but I think you're saying it's costing us four hundred million a, a month to run the, you know, the supports for businesses and employers and, and employees. And this week alone, we saw I think an additional four point two billion in corporation tax above yeah. what we were expecting estimated. Where yeah, like the boom, coffers, boom, the, 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 the coffers are overflowing when it comes to. Um, the two tier, the different, the leprechaun economics in Ireland, you know, yeah. sorry, that's my rant out of the way. I just want to mention, um, and I did mention last week that the revenue commissioners were going to be in the public accounts committee and a great big development that came out of that is that the revenue commissioners have acknowledged 
that bogus self-employment is a concern for many workers. That's a departure from where they have been before. And they also threw the Department of Social Welfare under the bus for responsibility. And the Department of Social Welfare is in the Public Accounts Committee on Thursday morning. So that's, again, some must-see TV. And uh, get yourself along and have a look at that. If you're if you're if you're mad, um, look, I just I do, I do want to plug though. We talked about public health and, and women's voices. There's an amazing um woman in in charge of a lot of our public health in Dr. Marie Casey, and we'll be talking to her on I think Tuesday. Um, you, you'll have heard her on the on the show before. Looking forward to it and also dreading it as well. Um, so uh, keep an eye out, out for that. Um, Maria, in noteworthy, what are, what what have you got, and what do you need people to fund? Um, well, actually, I'm working on a piece on um, fertility funding so the lack of public fertility funding and and where is that going so that should be out in in the coming weeks um and yeah i suppose in terms of funding when we're speaking about um the traveler community we're hoping to do an investigating on um travelers in the justice system and it's almost funded it's 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 over 80 percent funded there so if you want to go to noteworthy.e it's called blind justice so it'd be great to get that over the line jan i presume you're just trying to get to the holidays Literally what I was about to say. <laughs> I don't normally count, but two and a half weeks to go. All right. Best of luck, Jana. We hope you get there. Amory, have you anything in the pipeline? Anything exciting we should know about? Um, you know, I just I, I don't know. I don't even know who's behind it now, but I don't know if any of you saw the um the page for Brad for the Leds. Did anyone see that? No. no. Yeah, so it, it seems to be um I'm I'm plugging this now, but uh, I I'm, I'm not behind it. But it's just kind of like a, a piece, a, a statement, you know, a political statement kind of that's uh, where it's uh, encouraging women to post their bras. Um, my packaging, my post is going to be very small because I'm very small tested, thanks to God. <laughs> but uh, for those that are more voluptuous, but I, I think it's um, it's uh, on Twitter now and it's at bras for the lads or something like that. And I suppose, you know what, it's a bit uh, tongue in cheek, but just to make a statement as well. Um, I just seen that on Twitter this morning. I got a notification about it, so I haven't had time to look into it. I'm going to plug that there now. Who's ever behind us? <laughs> well, Martin, you 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 probably be at it more than oh, I will. You know, I, so I, yeah, I, since I, this I, time I usually... last year, I've put on so much weight, so yeah, I could probably do with the primary self. So uh, I'm gonna have to send it in. Oh, yeah, it's in it's into the Oireachtas. I don't know if I mentioned that. I'll bear it in mind. We, we'll wrap it there, but there, if anybody wants to throw their hands up and ask a question more, we, we'll hang on for another couple of minutes. But I do want to thank um, Anne-Marie Quilligan, Maria Delaney and Jana Lyons for joining us. Um, it, you're, you're all you're all fab. And thanks for, for, for doing this again. But 